Amigo míos, welcome to the Strange Perspective. Welcome to Furry Month. And I am starting this with one of the most serious conversations I can ever remember having. I needed to have my friend on this podcast for him to tell this story. Because his reputation of bad luck precedes him when there are a lot of other things that should. So please, please give me your full attention for this hour that's coming up and listen to my friend's story. There will be parts that might anger some listeners, parts that might make my, my listeners not want to listen anymore, but try to see it. If anything else, try to see this as a story that not many people can relate to. And this is, if anything else, the most human story I will have in Furry Month. It is with great pride that I introduce you to this episode. And Louis, it is with great pride that I say that you're my friend. All right. Welcome, amigos. Welcome to The Strange Perspective. Welcome to the very first episode of Furry Month 2023. I ended this this podcast last year sometime around August. So I know that I didn't finish Furry Month when I finished my podcast, but after your reference, after people came up to me and said that we listened to your podcast, the statistics you have are not appropriate to, to the actual facts, I came back. So it is with great relief that I can finally say I am back with furry month which means hell of a lot to me because the furry fandom means a lot to me and what better way to start than with this beautiful angel this wonderful soul that i am proud to call my friend that just i find him so fascinating for all the horrible shit that happens to him you will see you will you, you will be introduced to someone who if there ever was a definition of you don't deserve this, this this bad luck, it is this person. I am talking about Louis, St. Louis. My friend, welcome. Hey, how you doing? I am extremely tired, but these are the things we do. I, I was about to go to bed, to tell you the truth, and then I, it hit me. Oh, shit. Furry month is today. Fuck. I haven't done anything. And then my brain went, I need to talk to Louie. And that's when I wrote to you. So I'm tired, but these are the things we do. These are the things I do. My friend, please, who are you? Just quick information about yourself. Uh, Okay, well, I mean, it's not that much interesting about me. It's just that, um, well, I'm just the normal everyday person. And, uh... There's not a lot of interesting things about me. I just, I like to go along and do my own thing and just go alongside life, do whatever I can and, you know, just live every day like it's your last day, basically. I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but considering all the stuff that you've been through, I think, I think that's appropriate to say. Uh, it's, it's nothing much. It's just, you know, like... (laughs) 
Wait, am I allowed to curse? Yes, you're allowed to curse. Fuck yeah, you're okay, allowed to curse. Okay, I, I just, I just want to make sure. No, but like, I get that life has been fucking shit, but, you know, shit happens. It is what it is. Uh, it just goes on and you have to find, like, different ways of having to deal with it. You have to find different ways of having to, uh, I, I don't know how to exactly describe it, but, you know, you just, just go on. Yeah. I remember you telling me that last year and I just looked at you and I went, I, I don't understand how you find this energy. I don't understand where you get this motivation from because I've, I haven't experienced a tenth of what you have. And I, like, I'm not going to lie. A lot of times I just wonder like, what's the point? So have you ever thought about your way of seeing life, this whole shit happens, that it can motivate other people. I, I'm not saying if you do it for that reason, but I am saying, are you aware how that can motivate other people? Well, the the way I do it is that um, basically when shit happens, what I think to myself is that there's no point in sitting around. There's no point in moping around. There's uh, there's plenty of things you do. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how small it is. Uh, it, it could be as big as um, well, I don't know, changing somebody's life, or it could be as small as picking up the phone and saying hello to a friend, an old friend. Uh, the things that we do in life, it matters. But in my case, it's uh. Like, you, you're wanting to know how I feel about all this, right? Yeah. So, basically, every day, you know, I wake up in the morning, and I just look at myself in the mirror, you know, where I look at myself in that blackness of my phone or some meme saying, oh, you this, that, with a black image and all that stuff. Every time I look at myself, I think I've got nothing left to lose. Everything is, uh, if I'm going to be quite frank, everything that I have is gone. It's, it's long gone. You know, my, my siblings, my family, my father, my parents, basically everything. Um, it gets to you. And, you know, the only reason why I go on is because... And every single day, there's always this one. There's always this one person that makes you want to uh, go on. There's this one little conversation that makes you think. The things that motivate me in my life is the uh, memories I have. You know, it's they can be gone for for the last fifteen years, but all it takes is just one little memory that I have. Like uh, I could be thinking about my best friend Dimitri uh, and how great of a guy he is and how many memories I have of him I mean he's still around he's still in my life he's still my best friend and I fucking love him but the part the other dark part that I have in my life is that um, I instead of just the two of us there was the three of us and I had a second best friend as well and uh, a lot of stuff happened between me and him uh we're just gonna call him dj sure 
a lot of stuff happened between me and DJ. And not a single day goes by where I don't think about him. I still have all the photos. I still have all the memories. I still have all the conversations that we had. And I just, I just look back on that. And, um, and I just think about it. There's a lot of people that say it's not a good thing to uh, dwell on the past. But at this point, when you're at my level, where you're, where I am at, what what is there to uh, think about? What is there to look at? You know, so why don't so why don't I just go think of my old, like the good days that I had before <laughs> before everything before everything went to shit, basically. And I just look at DJ, and it makes me happy. Uh, despite all the stuff that he did to me, I'm not gonna get into that. But there was a lot of stuff. But it doesn't matter. I still, I still forgive him. And the thing that motivates me, like I said, this is just a little thing. This is just one of many. Mm. The little thing that motivates me is that I will always, always remember that man. And who knows? Maybe one day he can't come back. Maybe one day he's gonna realize his mistakes, realize the kind of people he's hanging around with. He's gonna realize that it's bad. And you know, he's gonna he's gonna come back and I'm gonna have my friend again and everything's gonna be alright. So I just my my advice is to basically don't worry about it. You you have some it, it it really depends. The advice depends on the people. Whether you're filthy fucking rich, you have all that money, you have your entire family, but you happen to lose your one best friend, you still have a lot of things to lose, and you have to be very careful. But, but when you get to my level, yeah, it, it, what had happened was that um, sorry, those are birds. Um, hear them in the background. <laughs> yeah, they they always fight. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it adds character uh, to the podcast episode. Yeah, um, but basically, I think because what I can honestly say is that in the beginning of my life, things were horrible. They were, and uh, you know, I was just a little kid, and I genuinely thought that. Everything was hopeless. My, uh, I had a father. Uh, he, what I remember from before I was like five, from what I remember is that he was such a good man. But the one thing that constantly pains me, the one thing that I constantly think about is that. Shut up, Ada. Sorry. Uh, the one thing that constantly bothers me is that he was just so quick to give everything up. He uh, he was an architect, and he was a painter for the Catholic Church. So he made all those great paintings. He made all of those beautiful stained glass windows and all that stuff, as to which many are still standing to this day, even after his death. Um he, the company that he was working for, it went under, and he lost his job. And he was a deaf man, so in, at that time in Colombia, you know, disabilities are very looked down upon. Um, so he gave everything up. He stopped 
he he just stopped the motivation to work. He just didn't care for much of anything, and he started drinking. So he started drinking more and more, and then the alcohol started to take hold of him. And he went from being such an amazing father, a good husband, to this man that I could never recognize. Like, I lived with the man that he was for more years than he was before he turned to all that. And he just, he lost it all. He spent all his money on gambling, on alcohol, and um, he became this horrible, repulsive husk of a man who would just constantly be my mother, he would constantly be me, and uh, it, it, he always took it out on me and not my brother. Uh, my sister at the time, she had went missing, so thankfully she, I, I don't know who she is. Um, I think that she is, I don't know, something in my heart is telling me that she's gone. Somebody just snatched her up and she's gone. So she didn't have to go through what my father had done. But uh, growing up with him, my brother was always the favorite. He was the one that always had the food. He was the one that always had everything. He's the one that always had the bed. And me, on the other hand, the fallout from the divorce, It uh, now that my mother wasn't there, he started taking it out on me. And, um, okay, give me one second. Maybe can you cover the cage. Um, and you know, he started taking it out on me, and at some point, soon enough, I didn't have a bed of my own. I was in the closet for three years, um, and, and I mean, literally in the closet, I wasn't allowed out. Um, all I had was uh, this little boombox of uh, DVDs of this famous Spanish singer Vicente Fernandez. And, uh, and I would just listen to that for hours and hours. And the one song that I always listen to whenever I went to bed is that um, the context is that in the closet, for some reason, it's a skylight. And every single night, the moon, it would um, it would go past that uh, skylight. And every time that happened, it was basically time for me to sleep. So I would put on um, the uh, Catholic song, Silent Night. You know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, I would put on that song, and he sang it, and I would just be looking at the moon as it goes by, you know, we just end up falling asleep, and the next day would be a new day, and, you know, fast forward to three years later, <laughs> I was very emaciated, I was skinny, I was just in horrible condition, so my mom, she ended up finding me, and we ended up being brought back to America, me and my brother, and, um, and it was um it, it it was it was certainly an experience because the moment I landed in America we were getting out of the plane right and there was a man just standing across the hall and I I, I didn't think anything much of it until I started walking up and my mom she was like he's a new father and I just look at this guy and this guy has his arms down wearing a suit and he's got the most cold looking stare the most piercing blue eyes and the whitest hair and he he just <laughs> shook my hand and um he, he he was a good guy first 
you know, four years later, like during all that time, you know, we went to Disney. Life was great. It was, it was great. You know, I didn't get everything I wanted because he didn't want me to get spoiled. Yeah. But, you know, I, I had a good life and I was happy. And then here's the real kicker. He lost his job. And, um, and again, he, he never took it out of my mother. He never would hurt her. He was a good man for that, but he would always slowly become very verbal to me. He would always be very angry towards me. And for the next three years of my life, I always thought that it was my fault. And for all those years, I always tried my best to make him proud, you know, to try out that, to drag out that, um, I'm proud of you, son. But he never did it. He never gave me a hug. He never, he never did anything of that sort. And by the final year, it had gotten so bad, you know, a relationship that um, we would just be constantly fighting every single day. And the day finally came, the day that I was so worried about for so many years, the day finally came when he uh, when he got home and he saw that I was playing on the TV, which he didn't like. So he ran towards my computer that I just saved up and bought. And he was about to smash it. So I ran towards him and I grabbed my laptop because, hell no, I'm not letting him smash up a $3,000 laptop. So I just grabbed it from him. He got mad at me. He grabbed my shirt. And I don't know what happened. The next thing I remember is that I grabbed... At that point, I was much taller than him. I was much more stronger. I just grabbed his shirt and I slammed it against the wall. And he just looked at me, terrified. And I just looked at him right in the eyes and I was at a complete loss for words as to what I just did. So we didn't talk at all for the next two weeks. Um, bear in mind that this is when I had just come back from Sweden from visiting Charlie. And, um, and you know, a few days later, her parents are like, oh, you need to come over for Christmas, blah, 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 and all that stuff. So I did. So I bought the tickets. I told my parents that. My dad said nothing. My mom was like, okay, well, I hope you enjoy it and have fun. Uh, originally, it was uh, I was supposed to have come back after New Year's. So my dad, in the morning that I had left for the airport, my dad, he told me to clean up my room. I didn't want to argue with him, so I said, okay, sir. So I started cleaning up my room, and everything was spotless and clean. And he offered, this was the first time he had, spoken to me like in proper sentences that he was going to take me to the airport and that I don't have to worry about paying so I was like oh okay yeah thank you I finally was very happy that we uh started getting along again and then I got to the airport <laughs> and uh, I was getting out of the car I grabbed my bag and he got out of the car and just when I was about to go and hug him and thank him he turns to me straight dead on in the eyes and he says, you're now welcome home. I don't want you talking to your mother again. I don't want you talking to your brother again. I don't want you back home. You have to figure out your own life for yourself. You're already 18. And I was just in genuine shock. So I, I, I said nothing, and I just walked into the airport, and uh, and eventually, I, I don't know how I kept it together, but it was like four hours later when I was pretty much already halfway over Iceland when I 
started thinking more and more and it just turned into from a it just went from a silence to a complete overreaction <laughs> and um and i was just sobbing on the plane and uh, there was this nice uh, danish woman who was sitting next to me she she was like 80 or something and she was just patting my back and she was asking me what was wrong and i was telling her that and she was comforting me you know she's also one of those little motivational things that continues my life and uh, and i would never forget her i never got her name i don't know where she is but i would just want to thank her again but you know things happen so I arrived to Sweden, and um, and I see her parents again. And you know the situation was already explained to her parents by uh, Charlie, so they took me in, and um, and it was such a good time. Everything was great. Everything was comfortable. It was it was just honestly wonderful. Those four months from December to May, five months, whatever, and um, and I just. Um, I had to go back to America because I was overstaying my visa by pretty much a month. So I had to go back to America. And um, and at the time, I didn't realize that I had my uh, the landlord that I was living with. He was a pedophile. And um, it was on the last day of May that I found out he had raped a child. And suddenly everything came together, like the puzzles. He, every single night, he would get drunk. He would get so angry. He would be screaming at the top of his lungs. He would be throwing stuff around. Every single night, he would pull me into the living room just to yell at me because Charlie wouldn't come out of her room. Every single night, it was just... It was horrible. And um, this is your that was... What's up? This is your landlord? Yep. I mean, but surely, I mean, he, he's on a sex offender list or anything? Like, how can he be a landlord? I, I don't know the system in America. I, I don't know. What yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're not. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what criminal record you have. You can still be a landlord. Okay. And, um, and, you know, on that night, on the 30th, yeah. I realized this is the third time that this happened. First, my dad, then my adoptive dad, and now this again. So um, it, it was just horrible. So I decided to move out, and I moved in with somebody who was deaf. And she, she's a wonderful lady. She, she's a little crazy in the head, and she's a kleptomaniac, but, you know, she's a lovely lady overall. And... Um, and all those months I spent working and working and working. And um, it, it was basically my main goal was just to come back to Sweden. So I did on August 12th. Yeah, I came back to Sweden August 12th and I ended up moving into the cabin. Again, really, really nice time. Uh, you've been to the cabin yourself. You you can you can tell why I loved it. <laughs> I have some beautiful it, photos from there. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's far out from civilization. There's just fields and woods, and night it gets so beautiful and it's so windy. And I swear you could see the aurora from there. It was the best time. 
but around that time, I still hadn't told anybody. Uh, it, it was starting to take a toll on me because usually I have a lot of energy. Usually I'm very motivated to do a bunch of stuff, you know, to fix, clean, paint, whatever. Yeah. But at that time, my energy was starting to dip. I was having constant fatigue every single day, and it was just awful. Um, and the reason for that is that in uh, in June, I found out that I had cancer. And um, it was, uh, at that time, it was stage two myeloma. And um, basically, the summary is that it attacks your plasma cells and it makes your bones get weaker and weaker, and you can't just do much. You, basically, the end result of uh, blood cancer is that you just, you, you turn to dust, basically. And um, and I didn't let it bother me because the American healthcare system, you, you have to pay for everything. I didn't exactly have 280,000 laying around. Jesus. So I just ignored it. I pretended it didn't exist. I continued. I lived my life at the cabin. And um, and eventually the, the repairs started to slow down. And I noticed and it was just devastating because I was watching myself just slowly fall apart and I couldn't stop it. I felt very helpless. It it was um it was a nightmare that I come to because in my family there were a few people that had died from the same cancer and I've seen pictures of them on their final days and all they said they were so skinny, so gaunt, they wouldn't eat, they they just looked like bones. And, um, and it was taking its toll on me, but again, I didn't care. And, uh, September came along and I finally hear about the whereabouts of my other three siblings, one who's, uh, the old, okay, there was me. And then the second one would have been 18 and then the Fourth child would have been 14 years old, and then the fifth child would have been um, 11 years old now. And um, and I finally hear about them. The Colombian Judicial Court called. They found them. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled. But they said that they're gone. And I was just confused. I said, where? Where are they? And they had to explain to me that they're actually gone. So I asked, what happened? They found my little sister, the 11-year-old, all the way somewhere in fucking Peru. They found the other two in fucking Ecuador. And I asked him, where's my father? And they said, they found him as well. They found him in Medellin. And it turns out that he had committed suicide. And I was just baffled. And I asked him what happened to the other children. Um, the, the oldest had been... She, I, I don't know exactly what happened. I have her death certificate, but she was assaulted. And she lost a lot of blood. And she was only... 17 at that time 
and uh and my brother he was uh 14 well, well i mean no he was 13 or 12 at the time and he had no means to fend for himself so he starved and then the youngest my sister she somehow had caught covid and from what i know from the police records is that my father he just dropped her off in the hospital and left her there but the hospital in Colombia's situation with COVID was bad. So they didn't have a hospital bed for her. They just left her waiting in the waiting room. And, um, and eventually she died because of COVID. So on one day, hearing everything about my siblings, the last one that I have, they're gone. Just like that. I'm the oldest of the eight children. There's me. There's my sister Nadia, there's my brother Sebastian, there's my brother Matias, there's my sister Angelica, there's my sister Camila, there's my sister Mercedes, and there's my brother Roma. It's just me and Sebastian now. Nadia's dead, Matias is dead, Camila's dead, Angelica's dead, Mercedes is dead, and Roma's dead. And, uh, and that took a toll. I mean, it made it made everything so much more worse. My my realization that I, basically I thought to myself, "Oh my God, I'm alone." It was a scary thought. My family, uh, my immediate family, they're gone. I don't have any cousins. I don't have any aunts and uncles. Everybody's dead, and my mom is she's. She's on the heart transplant list, so she's slowly dying because the uh, American healthcare system is horrible. So I might as well lose her at some point as well, and then it's just going to be me. And uh, it, it's so scary to think that um, in the in the context of my family is that my on my mother's side. Her grandfather was a Spanish duke, and there was so much history of thousands of years of royalty and nobility and all this stuff, such a strong and proud family, and I still bear that last name, and it was, it's something to be so proud of, and the history, the books, the jewels, the portraits, everything was passed down to the oldest, and so they passed it down to my mother, and they, uh, and once my mother's gone, it's going to be passed down to me because it's what it says in the will. And um, and once my mother goes, uh, it's just going to be me. And every day I think like, something can happen to me. My doctor said that if I don't have any like treatment, it's uh, it's anywhere between three months to two years. At max before it takes me um so i think to myself that's it there's there's no way i'm gonna have a child within two years so it's just it's i i don't even i can't even put together the words of how my biggest fear is coming true it it's, it ends just like that that's how it ends. It's not going to end with a bang. It's going to end with a whimper. Thousands of years of history, thousands of years of that same last name, it's going to be gone just like that.
and it's going to be forgotten. And that hurts, you know? And at this point, I really, really have nothing left to lose. You know, anything can happen, but it sucks. Anyways, as I was saying, uh, so I went back to America in November, and I was, uh, it, it was a nice beginning. I was uh, on my way to go see a friend at a bar who had driven down from South Carolina, and it was uh, around 11 at night, and I was just, you know, minding my own things. I was having a good time, because, fuck, I love that truck. It was my favorite truck. It was a big old Dodge truck, one of those American glories and all that stuff. It was the best, and it was in flame red. And I was driving, and I was on my way to uh, downtown Orlando, and I ended up getting into an accident. And, um, and the cars totaled. The other person was drinking heavily, and it was just an absolute mess. And once again, the motivation that I get for now is that during the accident, I was driving, right? And I was, I was stopped at a stop sign, and I was waiting, and nobody was coming. So I thought, okay, I'm good to go. So I started making a turn, but then I looked over to the radio to see what was playing. And then the next thing I see when I look up is just this one bright white light and the sound of an engine roaring. Uh, it was a sports car. And I just look up and I see this huge white, this huge white light. And I kid you not, time stopped for me. And my memories just came flooding back. Like all that cheesy crap that they see in the movies about flashbacks when you're dying. Yeah, that actually fucking happens, and it fucking scares me. Because memories that I had forgotten came back to me just in an instant, and it felt like it was forever. I was just watching everything go so fucking slow. And then it happened, and it was the most horrific sound that you could hear. It was just this sound of metal just getting mangled, and the engine just suddenly coming to a stop. And uh, and for some reason, the music was playing. It was playing Never Gonna Give You Up. I was just sitting there with the engine going beep, beep, beep. And the fucking radio rick rolling me in the fucking background. And I'm just looking around. And I see the smoke come out. And I said to myself, holy shit, I'm fucking alive. So I immediately get out of the car and I go check on the other person to make sure that they're okay. But they try to fucking speed away and it was just a fucking mess. But uh, while I was waiting for the police to come, I was sitting at the back of a truck. <laughs> or what was left of it. And I thought to myself, how could I forget all of those memories that I had? How could I forget about the life that I had? It, it has been such a roller coaster. If I, if I give up on life now, then who's going to remember what my aunts did, who's going to remember what my grandparents did, who's going to remember who my siblings were, who's going to remember them, it's, it's just me now, and, um, and that gave me quite a bit of motivation to start the fucking car and continue driving, <laughs> so there was a lot of people who were just staring at me while I was driving a fucking mangled ass car, and I don't know how it ran, but it ran just fine, and, um, 
and I just kept on going and going and you know I worked my ass off I went into culinary school where I trained and I studied and I eventually got into a fucking fine dining restaurant through a friend and the job description was just preparing food so I was like okay that shouldn't be too hard my motherfucking friend made me the fucking sous chef the second head chef so I had a responsibility of an entire fucking kitchen. I had the responsibility of ordering people around. I had the responsibility of doing all that fucking stuff. And I kid you not, this is a Waldorf Astoria restaurant, a fine dining restaurant. And I was having the best fucking time of my life. And the money was beautiful. It it raked me in over a hundred thousand a year. And it was the best fucking thing. And I kept on going and going for months and months until um the uh, the immigration center in Sweden, they called me and they said, you need to come to Sweden now. At the very last fucking minute. So I was like, oh shit, okay, so I dropped everything. I dropped my job, I dropped every single fucking plan that I had. I dropped Anthrocon and I just came straight to Sweden. And, uh, and I'm still waiting for that interview i'm still waiting to hear from them it's been almost three months now and still nothing which pisses me the fuck off because i could have been working at that restaurant i could have been making money i could have been saving up but you know that chance is gone now um it shit happens but while i was um while i was waiting to uh, go back during that week i went back to the doctor and the doctor said that it had progressed because I had no treatment. So they referred me to this uh, one center where they uh, did the treatment, pro bono. So I took it up and it was the most painful fucking thing I've ever done. A needle the size of my fucking pinky. Like, look, just look at your pinky. That's, how, that's probably how big it was. Mm. They had to jam it in my fucking veins and it was the most painful thing ever. Getting the treatment for my cancer is... Uh, it, it's it, it's um there's there's no way that this is not the most painful thing in the world it really is it, it fucking sucks and I was so exhausted every single time I did that and then I came to Sweden and um and now I'm just doing my own thing I was I'm fixing up the car and um and then my mom Somewhere in the middle of June, uh, my mom, who didn't tell me the condition that she was in, she was at home, she was just minding her own business, my mom has a heart attack, and my stepdad didn't bother telling me. He he was so petty to the point where he wouldn't tell me that my mother had a heart attack. I ended up finding out when my mom called me like four days later, and I was losing my shit. And again, that's where the motivation comes. My mom almost just fucking died. I almost became completely alone. Holy fucking shit. You know, it. it's always... Um, every single time I start to feel like I'm about to give up, some random fucking shit happens. And it just fucking perks me up. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't give up now. Uh, right now... In all honesty, I do feel like giving up because the immigration center is now responding and 
everybody's telling me that I don't match the requirements to move to Sweden. So now I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I kept delaying my future. I was supposed to study university. I was supposed to have been a junior this year. At this point, my third year of uh, university as a uh, as a astronautical engineer, somebody who works on the rockets that sends people to space. Because my dream when I was younger was that I would end up in, that I would end up in space someday, and it still is, hopefully. <laughs> but um, I gave that up to come to Sweden. I gave up a good job. I gave all that stuff up. So now, a few weeks ago, it got me thinking: What the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm just sitting around, drinking and drinking and drinking and smoking, and I'm just becoming my father <laughs> and that scared the fuck out of me I'm not, I'm not even fucking kidding me it scared me the fuck out but you know I still do all that stuff in moderation now but uh right now it just it fucking sucks cause we we don't even have the fucking money to pay for the rent because I had to pay a huge fucking bill that took up most of my savings I had sold everything that I had already at this point just to keep this apartment. And I'm still missing like 3000 4000 I don't even fucking begin to fathom where I can get that sort of fucking money. I'm already like a week late. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, a few weeks ago, I started thinking, you know, I'm probably going to be dead in less than two years. Uh, wh why should I just die in a whimper, just laying on some fucking hospital bed, struggling to breathe, struggling to fucking move, when I could die on my own terms? Now, I'm going to be honest, briefly, uh, around that time, I was contemplating suicide. I was just contemplating on how the silence and... The peace would have been so comforting how I could that there's that there could possibly be a chance to see my family again, to hug my siblings, to see my grandparents again, to tell them how much I miss them, to tell them how much I love them. But um then I realized, oh, the Bible says if you kill yourself, you're going to hell. So I was like, okay, never mind then. <laughs> um so I started thinking of other choices that would make a lot of use uh, within these next two years. And I realized there are so many people suffering in Eastern Europe right now. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing. So a few days ago, I started the applications to uh, join the military. Uh, there's two applications that I sent in. One that is basically applying directly to uh, the Ukraine's uh, foreign legion. And the other one is applying to something that's called the Russian Freedom Legion or the Freedom Fighters. And honestly, I really want to join the Russian one because it's a group of military people mercenaries, blah, 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 and all that stuff, who's looking for plenty of foreigners, people who are willing to learn, people who are willing to put up, pick up a gun and just shoot. So I signed up for that. And the point of that is um, 
You're fighting for Russia, but you're not fighting for Russia. You know what I mean? Because, like, it, we're basically fighting for the freedom of the fatherland. We're fighting for the people. We're fighting to take down the government, to take down Putin, and to bring back Russia to how it used to be. And to finally make it a good country, you know, not a fucking joke in the world. Because I used to live in Russia, in St. Petersburg, and it was honestly such a really good time. I was living with my father, with my stepdad, and um, so I love that country so much. Everybody tells me that I'm fucking insane for loving it. But if you've been there, if you've seen the people, if you've seen the culture, you would have fallen in love. And that's what happened to me. So I signed up for that. And right now I'm still waiting to hear back from them. It's going to take somewhere around two to four weeks. And they're going to tell me what I need to do, what papers they need. And once all that stuff is arranged, I'm just going to get to the next plane to... um. Ah, what was it? Uh, It was a country. Hold on, I have the papers. Let me just see if I can find it. But like... Uh, so Google. you wouldn't you uh, wouldn't be fighting okay, maps. You yeah, wouldn't, sure, whatever. You wouldn't be fighting. Uh, wouldn't be fighting for defending it Ukraine. It was the country that was to the left of Ukraine. Moldova. Yeah. Uh, it. I would have to catch a flight to Moldova, and then I have to catch a train to uh, whatever I'm going to be stationed at, and then they're going to start putting me on training and all that stuff. And then from that point on, I don't know what happens. You, nobody knows what happens to you in the middle of a war. Do I get killed? Do I survive? Do I become a general? Do I become dust? Whatever. I, I, I don't know. But, but Louis. But the one thing that gives me the motivation for the end of my life is that I don't get to die in weakness. I don't get to die in pity. I don't get to die with a whimper. I'm not going to die in a hospital bed. Absolutely not. I'm going to die in a field or a forest surrounded by my friends, by my fellow soldiers. I'm going to die fighting for a cause, fighting for the people who have suffered so much. Why should I just sit around thinking about my own suffering, thinking about my own issues, wallowing in my own depression and grief, when I can just go and fight the war? And whatever happens, it's going to be on my terms. I genuinely don't think I'll ever get treatment. It's still not too late. I know that. But But wait, Louis, Louis, wait, Louis. $280,000. $280,000. Louis, can you hear and me? I don't have that kind of money laying around. So, why not just go and finish it on my own terms? Because all soldiers go... This is what I think. This is what my mom tells me every single fucking time. I, we see soldiers and all that stuff. She says, all soldiers go to heaven and they will fight for God by his side as an angel. 
That is the ultimate reward for a life of selflessness and bravery. And that got me thinking, why don't I do that? I can fight for my fate. I can fight for the people of Ukraine. I can fight for the people who are suffering and starving in Russia. There are so many horrible casualties. There are so many horrible things happening in the Ukraine. If I can stop at least just one of them, it's good enough for me. It's going to be good enough for my life. It's going to be... Everything's going to be wrapped up. And then, finally, I can stop worrying about what happens to me. I can stop worrying about what happens next in my life. I can stop worrying about bills and rent and all that stuff because either way in the end i'm gonna be somewhere that i'm gonna be that i'm gonna very much like and i'm going to finally see my family i uh, take it as how you want it um life has been so horrible and so many things keep popping up my <laughs> My luck, as you said, is horrible. And, um, but every single day, I just wake up, I pick the pieces up, think about my family, see some photos, say a little prayer, you know, just to talk to my family that's up there. And then I just continue with my day. I drive where I need to drive to. I go where I need to go. I, I do things that I need to do. And then I just go to bed. And then I wake up, do the same thing, go to bed. Wake up, do the same thing, go to bed. It's starting to become a very boring routine. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm probably most likely 90% sure that I'm just going to end up choosing to go to the Ukraine instead of having to go back to Texas or Florida or whatever I'll be. I'm going to be in a field protecting my fellow people and it's going to be alright it's going to be good it's going to be glorious and it's going to be some sort of peace that I will find in my life and I, and I quite frankly I don't care for what happens I don't care for what happens now I don't care for any of the issues that trouble me now because it's going to be gone. The moment, the moment that I lay down my life in a battlefield, whether it be in Kharkiv or Kiev or the Crimea or whatever, I, I don't know. It's all going to be gone. At that point, it's all going to be pointless. I spent all that time worrying. I spent all that time stressing out. And for what? I'm dead. Who cares? It, so that's that's the motivation that I have because I see that my path, it, how do I describe this like safely? Uh, yes, it's true that the path that I'm on, it's pretty dark, but at least I see where it ends. And it's going to end on the way that I want it to. Louis. But right now, I'm just, I'm just, you know, talking to friends, making sure that everybody's doing all right. I'm trying to make sure that my partner has the money to be able to afford all that stuff. 
and then after that it's gonna it's gonna be very hard it's gonna be very hard to uh say what happens but you know as of right now the only thing the only thing that i mind that i worry about is the state that my friends are in right now i want to be able to make sure that they're okay i want to make sure that you are okay i want to make sure that charlie's okay i want to make sure that dimitri's okay i want to make sure everybody's okay and i want to talk to them i want to say hello to them i want to be able to see them you know spend every little waking moment that i have spending time with them before i have to go to the ukraine because once i'm in ukraine i can't have my phone i it is pretty damn well near impossible for um for me to write a letter home the only letter that my mother gets is probably going to be the letter that says i'm dead uh, same with charlie and that's how i know it's going to end and quite frankly i accept it because there's nothing else that i can do if if I didn't have cancer, then it would have been a different story. It would have been a completely different story. I would have been back in Dallas. I would have picked up my uh, I would have picked up my cooking job and all this stuff again. But right now, there's no point in doing that. So it it's life, and I'm not complaining about it. Everybody tells me how much my life fucking sucks, and I tell them. I know, and, you know, my friends ask me, how do you deal with it? And I said, I don't. You just don't deal with it. You just don't care for it. And then that's when things start to feel a little better. That's when things start to feel a little more comfortable. And right now, I'm okay. I'm hoping that I'll be able to get to see my best friend one more time. I'm hoping that I'll be able to see my homeland one more time. But, uh, who knows? It is what it is. And, um, that's basically it. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yes, I can. There were many times where I, where I just... You, you'll notice it on the audio when I go, Hey, Louie, Louie, Louie. I don't think you can hear me. Louie. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. I heard everything you said. I heard everything oh. you said. So don't worry. It's it's all it's all recorded. It's it's all. So don't worry about it. You sure? I mean, we can we can go again if you want. Because uh, I'm gonna yeah, go, I'm gonna go through everything. And if I do notice that there's something that has to be taken again, I won't go over to the next person before I'm done with you. Because there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack, there, buddy. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack and and everything you said, and I I will tell you this, and I hope that everyone listening to this feels, even if they don't agree with me, in some way they will agree to a point where they respect the decision. I am the last person on this planet to tell you that I disagree with what you're doing. I don't think anyone, and I do mean anyone has the right to tell you what is right, what is not right to do. 
not only because of the things you've been through, but because there is a limit when people say try to see it from the other perspective, try to walk a mile on another person's shoes. There is a limit to that, and I'm not even going to pretend that I can comprehend a fraction of everything that you said or experienced. But, but, so I, I will not judge you for your decisions. I will not try to convince you what you're doing is wrong because, again, who the fuck am I to do that? But I will ask you this. Does everyone close to you know of this decision? Are they okay with it? And finally, does that affect you? Um, nobody knows. No. This, this, this is it. I don't want them. You know, I don't. I'm not doing this for attention. I'm not doing this. Oh no! And God no! I would. I would have. I would, that that much is very much clear. But what do, what does your partner? Are you getting full support for this, or are you not? Nope. And are you okay Gee. with? Are you okay with this podcast coming out with all this information? Yep. I just she knows she doesn't like it. She disagrees with it. But I it's your don't decision. know. It's your decision. Yeah. It's it's that's why that's why I keep saying I'm not gonna ch- I'm not gonna try to change your mind. I think it's pretty obvious what I would like to say, and if it's if it isn't, I I I don't want you to do this. But I'm also the same person that I said for a very long time. If you know, God forbid, I get cancer and it's at that point where it's not reversible. If the doctor legitimately tells me there is no reversing this it has gone past that point, then I know how I'm going to die and it won't be in a hospital bed. I've seen too many family members go through that. I'm not doing that. I'm going out the way I decide. It is my life. It is my body. No one tells me if it's right or wrong. And if they don't like it, you're not living this life. You have your own life. So go out the way you want to with your life, but don't fucking tell me how how to end the way I live my life. So no, I don't I'm not going to I'm not going to do it, but Yeah. If if I, if, if, it, if it if it helps you, man, I I wish I wish I could do more. Oh, it's okay. And you you've you've already did plenty to say, you know. And for that I I would always be grateful because there are no words that can describe how kind of a man that you have been, how wonderful of a person that you have been by my side this entire time. I can't comprehend the stuff that you've done for me, even though we seen each other like what four times in person now. You still did so much more for me than any of my other friends have done. And for that, it is it's 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 crazy. It's amazing, basically. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it if you're not the person that you are. That's what I want you to focus on. I wouldn't do it if you're, if you weren't you. I'm, I'm not. I wanted your story to come out. Um, 
the insane part with all of this is your age. I think people listening to this probably think that you're probably 45, 50. Because of yeah. all the things <laughs> you've gone through. And no, you're not. You're not. Yeah. You're young. You're much younger than I am. So... I wanted your story out there. Is is there is there anything else I can help with? Is, is there any... This seems like such a fucking stupid question now, but do you have any sort of way people can support you? Do you have any do you have any social media where people can try to help you? And I don't mean help as in try to convince you to not do certain things. I mean help as in if you do art, maybe people can commission you. If if you do any type of service where people can try to to help you that way. Do you have any of that that you want to give out or are you just happy getting the story out? How do you feel? I, I don't think I would like handouts. I'm fine with the way this is. It's it's fine. You know, I will figure stuff out and I will continue on living the way I am living now. You know, it's, I'm worse at what I do best. It's, it's a complex thing that my mind is going through right now. But, um, frankly, I hate, hate drawing art. So, uh, I, I can draw pretty well, but I hate it. I hate it. Like, having to pick up a pen and just... Having the patience to do it for hours and hours, this is not something that I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, man. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm getting the story out. And I, I'm repeating this to anyone listening to this. If, if you don't agree with, 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 with what Louis is doing, it, it is not your place to try to convince him otherwise. Because me, me, me telling into this microphone... Walk walk a mile on a person's shoes, you still wouldn't even begin to leave the apartment to comprehend what's going through my friend's head. I'm not doing this to 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 convince you of otherwise. I'm doing this to get your story out because your story, horrible as it is, it's still a story I find needs needs to come out for several reasons. For 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 people that needs to hear this, for because. I told you in the beginning of this, your reputation of bad luck precedes you. And I think that's horrible because there's so many other things that should precede you. Your heart is one of them. So if this helps in any way, I'm glad it did. Yeah, it's very nice to uh, get it all out. (laughs) I'm seeing you one more fucking time before you leave. You hear me? Yes, of course, of course. And I'm honored to have you on my podcast. Thank you for telling me all of this. Thank you for telling everyone all of this. And thank you for having me on your podcast. You're awesome. I fucking love you, man. I love you too, man. I... Yeah, you say we've only met like four times. The impression you've made on me on after the first time, it's... 
Yeah, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I like for some reason, like for some reason, I would just be sitting down having a drink, an alcoholic drink, and I'm just listening to music. And for some reason, it just flashes in my head about everything that happened. And I just look at my drink and I just put it down. I'm like, damn. Yeah, for for very for a very short um. As a as a let's let's make people smile type of way to end this podcast. The first time was a party at my place. <sighs> was it? It was the first time, wasn't it? Yep, that's right. Party at my place, a uh, a bowl of alcohol, and my friend Louis here getting drunk, so drunk that uh, paramedics had to come into my apartment. Yeah, and oh. them helping you in my bathtub. <laughs> With a fucking dildo right above them, because it's a dildo that you can attach to the bathroom wall. I didn't use it, mind you, to anyone listening to this. I didn't use it. It wasn't mine. Holy shit. (laughs) But seeing the image of you in the bathtub with two paramedics with a fucking floppy dildo just hanging (laughs) above them is an image I will never, ever forget. Oh no, that's so embarrassing! <laughs> oh god, and the fact no, and the, the and this is worse. This is worse to me. I don't give a fuck about being half naked in a fucking bathtub with the parents. No, no, no. This is worse. Uh-huh. Me waking up in the car, looking up, seeing my partner, and then looking right in the front of me, and then I looked up and was above the headrest, and I saw spiky hair, and I was like. Holy fucking shit, it's her father. You have no idea how serious that man is. He's so stern. I was fucking dead. I I, I could have sworn I was going to be dead in the next morning. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was on an air mattress in the middle of the living room, and I was confused, and I had a horrible fucking headache. Right. And that was, the first time, that was the first time I ever had a hangover. And then I looked over to her mother... And her mother is just sitting on the couch with her arms crossed, and she was just smirking. I was baffled, so I immediately got up. I apologized. She was just laughing, and then I ran down to the uh, ran downstairs to the basement, and I saw her father. And I was apologizing so fucking hard, and then her father just looks at me, and he says, "It's no problem. I have to do it for my brother too." And, oh my god, that dude, that was so embarrassing. Just imagine being half naked, having to be carried by your partner's father to the fucking car, covered in puke. Oh. Alcohol giveth, and alcohol taketh, my friend. Oh it my really god. Is. Also, it was Malibu that I mixed with some sort of juice and berries. There were a shit ton of berries. And when you have berries, yeah, with that's alcohol, why. That's... the berries absorbs all that shit. And and you ate a lot of berries. Yeah, that's probably why. Because um I know because I tried it again, uh, a mixed drink with berries, and I was so fucking sick the next day. Then I realized I can't fucking do any mixed drinks that have any fruits. I can do rum and coke, I can do gin bean whiskey and all that stuff, no problem. But anything that has actual fruits in it. Fuck that. No way. I'll I'll be sure to remember it next time I make you a drink. <laughs> you, right. I mean, I handled myself pretty well the last time I was... Oh, yeah. I was... I know. It, you, it, everything went perfectly the last party we had. 
Yeah, thank God. Because <laughs> the first time when you gave me the alcohol, I was looking at it and I was like, please, God, don't let it happen again. Please, please. And then by the fourth day or something, everything was good. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully, I'll see what I can do. Hopefully, we can have one more party. But let's go. But we'll, 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 we'll take it then. My friend, I'm ending the podcast here. Again, it was an honor to have you. And I'm I'm gonna talk to you soon. I'm releasing this podcast episode today, so oh shit, okay, so look, so okay, look awesome. forward to it. Uh, maybe like in 20 minutes, this podcast will be out. I need to do some oh. edits and stuff, but it's coming out today. Thank Let's you for sharing go. your story. Okay, of course, man. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it, dude. All right, I'll talk to you later. Absolutely. Bye bye. Bye bye. And there you have one of the most. <sighs> human stories i've um i've had the honor to listening to i stand by everything i said in this podcast and if that rubs anyone the wrong way so be it uh hopefully that last part made you laugh a little and louis again i thank you so much and that's how we begin furry month There's nothing else to say. I thank you all for listening. Take care of each other. And I'm going to tell you something that I always tell my pillars. Because if there ever was any relevancy to when to do it, it is now. So please, for fuck's sake, listen. Always tell the people you love that you love them. Every time you meet them. Every fucking time you meet them. Tell them you love them. Because you just don't fucking know when you'll be able to do it again. Tell them you love them. Amigos, thank you for this. I'll see you next week. Adios. Adios.